I am Arlene Limas, the CEO of Pay Prevention, Proactive Anti-Violence Education. Uh, and you are watching us on our podcast of Disrupting the Dominoes. Um, and when we say that, we're hoping to disrupt the dominoes that fall from violence ev violent events and uh, just all those ripple effects that uh, dealing with violence uh, has in our world. Um, so we have a really cool guest today, uh, a good friend of mine. I'm really excited about interviewing him today. Um, I've known him, wow, too long to admit. Um, uh, but uh, Dr. Pete Margella, Pietro Margella, um, I go, he goes by Pete. So Dr. Pete, welcome. Welcome to our show. Hey, Darlene. Glad to be here. Glad to be able to join you and to help with the PAVE effort. Yeah. Well, happy new year. Same to you. <laughs> which is for a healthier one at least yes yes so let's uh let's just jump right into it i have a couple questions that we kind of ask everyone on our podcast so mm -hmm. i want to share with you first um one first of all please tell me who you are tell me what you're doing share with our with our, our listeners and our watchers uh our audience um who is dr pete so thanks. The short version is I am a, um, or at least regarded as a subject matter expert in disaster medicine and public health preparedness. Uh, I spent uh, a long time uh, as a career naval officer uh, in a community called the Plans, Operations, and Medical Intelligence Community. And our job primarily was to, des to design plans to ensure the adequacy of health service support uh, for our warfighters. Uh, and out of that in the post 9-11 era, uh, many in our community because of our work involved with, with writing these plans against uh, large uh, catastrophic level um, production events in terms of human casualties, we naturally gravitated towards um, the emergence of, of disaster and emergency management as a uh, evidence-based uh, science that has developed uh, in the post 9-11 era. Uh, in the latter part of my career, while still in uniform, I served at the most senior positions of uh, a medical planner in the Department of Defense, including the Chief of Medical Plans and Operations for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, the Senior uh, Advisor for Medical Contingency Operations for the Office of the Secretary of Defense, and, and then the Medical Response Advisor to the President of the United States aboard the National Airborne Operations Center, the NAOC, which is sometimes better known uh, as Nightwatch, or more derisively in terms of threat, the doomsday plane. Uh, my job there would have been to advise uh, the president on how we might be able to respond to um, any uh, incident of national significance, but most of the time our planning had to do with response to nuclear events, which of course would have been the high-end scenario. In my post-military career, I've been the um, director of uh, emergency management for the state of New York, uh, I've served as a professor of disaster medicine and public health preparedness at George Washington University School of Public Health, uh, the George C. Marshall Center for European Security Studies, and the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences uh, teaching courses, uh, mostly related to preparedness against large-scale events like pandemics. So when Arlene asked me to become uh, involved with PABE, uh, I saw a, a natural affinity with some of the work that I've done in preparedness uh, with uh, some of the important work that PAVE is designed to do to change uh, the workplace violence paradigm. Dr. Pete, thank you so much for your service and everything that you've done um, for this country. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, 
I know I've seen your resume and I've heard your resume numerous times, but wow. I mean, what a, a life lived and what a commitment to service. So thank you for that. Thank you. It, it truly was the great honor of my life to wear that uniform every day uh, in service mm. to my country. So uh, thank you for acknowledging that and saying so. Mm. It's appreciated. So I'm going to ask you now, I mean, um, or I can talk about it, but I like kind of your stories on this. How did we meet? Well, we go back, uh, Arlene didn't want to enumerate the actual number of years, but it's more than three decades. Um, both of us, of course, were practitioners in the martial arts. Uh, Arlene has met with much, much greater success uh, than I have. But when we were in our, in our late teens and early 20s, we were competitors, uh, thankfully never against each other because I was, would have been a little scared fighting her, but um, uh, in, in national tournaments through the, the National Karate Circuit, uh, that still existed at that time, uh, late 70s and early 80s. Uh, and then we happened to follow each other to uh, Northern Virginia, where, of course, Ms. Lemus opened up the, the, one of the largest dojos in the United States. And both my daughter, uh, Amberly, and I had the, the great fortune to, to train and, uh, and practice with her and her uh, top flight team of instructors there. So we, ha we have a lot of uh, common ground we've walked over the years. Yeah, it's crazy how, you know, the world gets so small and, you know, people who are supposed to be in your circle stay in your circle. They find a way to stay in your circle. So I'm grateful yeah. to have you definitely in my circle. Exactly. Okay, so let's let's get to the, you know, the, some of the ideas that are around this podcast, uh, and that is violence prevention. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, do you see a benefit of human safety skills being pulled into employee workplace or workplace training what are your thoughts doubt. on yeah without a doubt and i'm I was, i'm very interested in, in your your comment or introduction into this program uh, with its title as disrupting the dominoes uh we studied that is those of us who who were assessed into the the navy and into the professional world as healthcare administrators this notion of uh, organizational disruption uh through the uh presence of, of um, either disasters or, or other environmental uh, issues that affect the ability to maintain organizational status quo or organizational homeostasis. Uh, and of course, most organizations desire to maintain a resilient organization. My friend Peter Hitt wants to find that as the ability to function as normally as possible in the abnormal environment, which I think is a great definition um, and we know um, through several sectors that we're looking at very carefully with PAVE and, and with Arlene right now, such as the healthcare sector, the hospitality sector, uh, first responder and emergency management communities, uh, the airline industry and others, uh, that this issue of workplace violence is, is not only pervasive and omnipresent, but it, it's costing organizations billions and billions of dollars a year uh, in wasted money, uh, in loss of manpower and capacity for organizational production. Uh, and it's an issue that we're just not addressing sufficiently enough in this country to have made a significant or really quantitative improvement at this point. So it just underscores the importance of an organization like PAVE with leadership like Ms. Lemus um, coming in to, to try and address this uh, and, and really make some change. 
I mean, I think one of the one of the things that has stuck that stuck out to me is one of our first conversations that we had, and I was trying to share with you what my vision for Pave was and things we were going to address. And one of the words I the phrases I used were microaggressions, and you kind of stopped me right in the middle of what my what I was talking about, and you said, "Arlene, I would even say that these aren't even microaggressions; these are micro disasters because for the person going through them." It's a disaster, of course it is. you know, and uh, I mean, that has stuck with me. And, and um, you know, I think sometimes uh, certain personalities and I'll use mine as being an athlete all my life. You know, we we uh, and we see this through the resilience and the things that have happened to the gymnasts, the U.S. gymnasts, is that we just kind of suck it up and we just move forward. But. We could be so much more if we didn't have to suck it up, if we were actually given the ability and the skill set to address and heal from violent events, um, who knows what potential we would reach, you know? So yeah, that, that has really stuck in my mind, that term of a micro disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to share that. And, and um, you know, I, I, uh, I appreciate, uh, you know, your your mindset on how, you know, preparedness and the human safety skills um, all all fall into place because a lot of people don't, you know, tend to fall to that vision right away. So I appreciate your view on that. You know, so my, we we so hope. I might just add a, a thought. We have a, well, there's there's two things to mention in in the wake of your comments just now, Arlene. Um, one is I, I definitely agree that, that microaggressions are, are easily comparable with, with micro disasters. When, when we try to explain what we do in this space, we normally put up a, a simple X, Y axis that we say represents what's known as the organizational continuum. Uh, and from its junction at the X, Y axis, you progress to the right and you can demonstrate three levels of organization, tactical, operational, and strategic. And people in disaster management and the emergency management arena are are, are, are often prone to saying disasters are always local events, meaning they, they occur closest to that confluence of where the XY axis is along that organizational continuum. It becomes problematic as time goes forward and it moves to the right along that, that horizontal bar, if you will, because then it begins to, if it's not controlled, the disaster begins to cross from the tactical or micro-tactical in this case, of, of the simple persons or, or one-to-one relationships that are involved in, in dysfunctional relationship and some level mm-hmm. of the organization. But if it's not controlled, it will, it will progress upwards in an arc and start to affect the organization beyond its own boundaries into the operational and eventually the strategic level. And to make that easier to understand, when it, when it hits the strategic level, we tend to notice it as a national issue as right. in this is a national concern in the healthcare space because it's progressed so badly because we couldn't control it at the most local levels that it now on average cost uh, healthcare leaders approximately $4 billion a year in lost revenue and lost profits uh, because of, of having to manage these events, the issues with tort litigation that come along with it, uh, the problems with, with manpower loss, lost time, lost production that I've already, I've already talked about. So th- this, this has a one-to-one comparison. And, and we often say that we have four phases of the disaster management life cycle. That's preparedness, mitigation, response, and recovery. 
And you can easily lay over those, those four levels and the initiatives that have to come with them uh, for what pay prevention is trying to do. Because on the front end, if we can prevent and or prepare and or mitigate against these, these situations, it stops what, what we're paying for at the far end, which is response and recovery, which comparatively are always the most expensive, always the most difficult, and always the longest in terms of being able to change organization. So we're hoping that, that some of the strategies that PAVE is trying to bring to the table to help with these various sectors right now will, will help change things on the front end and lessen the impact on, on the far end. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and um, you know, I didn't see myself as much of a, of a military thinker, but I fall in line so much with your military examples. Um, so yeah, awesome. My next question to you, Dr. Pete, uh, do you have a story you'd like to share where you experienced or witnessed workplace violence? Yeah, I, I, um, you know, I've, I've been in the healthcare space for 35 years. Um, and, and in the beginning, I was working directly in what we referred to as brick and mortar organizations or brick and mortar hospitals, actual uh, HCOs, healthcare organizations, as, as the acronym or abbreviation is used in, in, in the healthcare field. And I very frequently, more frequently than I would have ever desired, uh, saw firsthand the, the actions and impacts of workplace violence uh, mostly in emergency rooms where we've had, we've always had problems with, with people who are either um, distressed because of trauma or injury, who were undergoing uh, psychiatric distress or duress, maybe associated with that, or just purely psychiatric or psychological patients that are entering the healthcare space in the first place. We have the worried well, which includes parents and others who are demanding information from uh, healthcare yes. leaders and sometimes... Yes passing the boundaries of security that we, we set up to, to you know, try and keep the homeostasis of the ER uh, at, a, at a normal you know, pace, which is a stress place to begin with. So you, you add violence when these, these players come in uh, who disrupt the, the ability for the providers uh, to do their, their job and it disrupts the whole organization. And, and unfortunately I can take the stories that I've seen you know, firsthand, and we can lay them over right now, what we're seeing writ large in, in the healthcare space because of the COVID pandemic. We have this great unknown of this terrible disease that's wreaking havoc and has killed, you know, tens of millions of people, you know, around the world and here in the U.S. Uh, we have rising concerns about these different variants. And the more unknowns that are injected into a situation, the more likely we're like, we are to see people who are, who are, um, What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. Who hit their limit. They hit their, yeah. They reach yep. their peak and yep. they lose their ability to control their emotions. And that turns into physical threat and physical violence. And that's what we need uh, to prevent. And, and it's, an, it's, it, it's an unhappy truism that as the arc of, of, a, of in my world, the disaster go up, goes up, we see a descending lack of control in these spaces where we, we likewise see you know, violence increase significantly. And then of course you add, you add to that whole situation, the problem at least here in the United States with, with the opioid uh, crisis. And, and this is a problem on steroids, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I found myself the other day um, and I, I think I'm a pretty even keeled person. And um, I was taking my uncle to a doctor's appointment that had, um, 
been canceled, even though I had uh, <laughs> I had a portal message that said he was the appointment was on, an email confirming the email was on, an email asking me to fill out some questionnaire saying that it was on. When we got there, they said, oh, it had been canceled. But I found myself when I got there, you know, now that I've put my uncle in a situation where he could be exposed uh, to the new variant, um, you know, very stressed and very upset that I had made this trip and it had been canceled. And it, you know, I, I quickly caught myself, but I could see how people would be in that situation, elevated emotions, and just go after the person who's sitting behind the desk who has no control over the fact that the doctor didn't come in today. Um, so yeah, I mean, in those settings, uh, it can be, I'm sure it can be incredibly ten tense. And you and I have had the discussion as far as you have seen and that you know, nurses, emergency room nurses are not given the skill set of de-escalation. No, uh, you know, we, we, I'm going to offer a lot of similes between my space that, that is public health preparedness and, and what is happening in the workplace environment in terms of concerns, um, because we, we don't train, you know, we have complained, if you will, that we don't offer doctors, nurses, and, and, the, and the wide spectrum of allied health scientists uh, any sort of training in, in, their, in their academic pipelines for, for disaster preparedness and emergency preparedness. Uh, and, and then when it comes time for them to be uh, key uh, response professionals in helping us adjudicate um, an incident that has occurred, uh, we put them in tenuous positions because they don't have the skill sets and they can't be blamed. Likewise, in, in the healthcare space, we don't, uh, in, in the, the physician pipeline or the nursing pipeline or the laboratory professionals pipeline, or even the healthcare administrator who, who's often the person on the spot to come and de-escalate problems that are that are occurring due to conflict between a provider and, and a patient, uh, give them any, any skills in terms of risk management reduction, uh, trying to talk people down, if I can put it into common terms. Right. And then especially at the end of the day, we of course don't teach them any self-defense skills whatsoever. Right. And, and we know, of course, as martial artists that and we haven't mentioned is, is that like uh, Miss Lemus, I've been a practicing martial artist for almost 45 years now. Yeah. Uh, you don't learn how to defend yourself by reading a book or getting a weekend lesson in self-defense. <laughs> so yeah. in, in some in some cases, it's more dangerous to send a nurse or a flight attendant or anybody else uh, like a, a hospitality manager through a weekend of, of a self-defense course and hope that they're going to have the skills to, to physically de-escalate a situation uh, when it starts to occur in the environments that they work in. So the, the approach is not this, this sudden hands-on. It, it's got to come from some intellectualized uh, approach that we can develop to change behaviors yeah. in these workplaces and give people skills that don't involve putting themselves at further risk through physical interaction with, with antagonists. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's why I think what, you know, what PAVE offers is just so unique and such a fresh approach, you know, being trauma informed, having a lot of built in scenarios that get your adrenaline up and you're going through these scenarios and you're reacting into these scenarios under adrenaline pressure. Um, I think, um, you know, it really gives the chance to impart in real time, impart these skills um, to um, 
to, in the workforce, especially, you know, where I see it as you see it in the healthcare sector. So, okay, my next question, Dr. Pete, um, do you see PAVE programming contributing to our nation's emergency workers? So like FEMA, you had shared some stories with me in the past um, uh, about the tremendous pressure that uh, FEMA workers are put under. Yeah, I, you know, that, of course, this is the space I've, I've had the most firsthand experience with. And I've been in disaster locations like Katrina, uh, like uh, both the Pentagon and, and New York on 9-11, uh, many, many places around the world during my, my military career where I see the immediate aftermath of disasters. And, and in, in each of those cases, you, you've completely lost control of, of normal homeostasis and, and, and infrastructure support and people completely lose the resources that in many cases they, they simply take for granted on a, on a daily basis. Uh, Malcolm yep. Blackwell wrote a great book called The Tipping Point and it's, it's a really good analogy because when these disasters occur, we have people that are reliant in relatively small geographic areas on, on what is essentially very static critical infrastructure capabilities to support them, water, healthcare, foodstuffs, uh, et cetera. And they all go away quite quickly because unfortunately we, we in this country at least don't do enough pre-event deliberate planning to, to figure out how we're gonna stop those cascades from happening. So when right. it happens, you know, people, we, we, we know that there are very significant behavioral and social science concerns with disaster affected populations that we yearn to put our arms around uh, and control. Because one of the, the things that we become most worried about is that the people who are sent in as the first responders, whether they're fire police or emergency um, medical personnel, become almost instantly at further risk because of the demands of, of the affected population and their needs not being met. So in those cases, we see violence absolutely spike as a first order of magnitude cascade that occurs after disasters uh, happen. And, and what we don't want, of course, is, is for those situations to instantly turn into um, scenarios where part of the first responder community, that being law enforcement and police, have to respond in turn with violence to control these populations. So if we give our, our first responder and public safety personnel, some of these skills that we're trying to impart with paid prevention, uh, again, it's our hope that it, it lessens the impact of these uh, disasters. It reduces the, uh, you know, the, 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 the vibrational issues that are endemic to disaster affected populations and locales. Uh, and in the end, we hope that we'll see safer and, and better outcomes. And of course, expedited response, which is exactly what we want to have happen. Uh, right. To reduce the response and recovery time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> the next question I have for you, Dr. Pete, is I think you've touched upon this already through our conversation, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, uh, to pinpoint it for me, how, um, where do you see PAVE contributing in the pre in preventing violence for the healthcare sector? I, I think Arlene, it's a phased answer um, because I think I think organizationally you have to get you have to get C-suite leadership involved yeah. first, and you have to get them, you know, to 
you know, understand that there's a problem, which I don't think is, is the reach. I, you know, they're the ones that are in control of the, the financial purse strings of organizations. And in, whether it's in hospitality or healthcare, emergency management or, or the, the airline industry, we're seeing some of these most impactful concerns with workplace violence. Those CEOs know already. What they don't know uh, is that there is an organization like Pay Prevention that's right. out there now that's, that's trying to put real serious and important thought to uh, theories and practices that can be put in place that can reduce their impacts. Right now, you know, it, it's, like, it's like an organization that doesn't prepare for a disaster. When the disasters occur, they're blind. And they're, right. you know, mucking around in, in the darkness, looking, you know, to grasp hold of something of, of permanence to settle, you know, the environmental jolt that has just occurred uh, on them. Uh, so so in, a, in sort of a first tier approach, I think in the beginning, it's going to be a matter of adequate marketing uh, to let organizations um, in these spaces that are being so badly impacted by workplace violence that there is an organization out there that's thinking about this, that is dedicated yep. to, to reducing this problem uh, in these sectors and in our nation. And then once that occurs, then of course, I, I think the initiative is going to go viral because uh, as I said, uh, it's, it's not hard to recognize what this problem uh, is doing to industries in many sectors in this country and what the cost is uh, in terms of being associated with it. Right, exactly. I mean, it's a huge cost. We know that. I mean, when we started looking at some of the statistics, they were just mind blowing. I, I think that it's very clear when we talk to people that they understand that violence is impacting their business, right? And they, their employees should have the skill set to stop it. I think that they understand that um, their employees should also have the, not only prevent it, but if it occurs in real time, the skill set to defend themselves or prepare themselves or de-escalate the situation. But for me, what I feel is the most powerful, but it's the hardest to, to share that information with people is how we heal, how people heal once they're imparted this skill set, how that helps them heal. So I think I've shared to you that I've, I lost my home to a fire. And because of being empowered by martial arts and a lot of these principles flow into paid programming, martial arts principles, um, that's what really got me through it is I was just able to take control of certain things since I didn't have control in things like my house burning down. I was able to be empowered and take control of something in my life through the martial arts. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't, you know, maybe you can speak to it how, what an important component, being given a skill set to help you heal from something happening. You know, I, I'll go back first off to what I was talking about a minute ago about that operational continuum. And, I, and I, I, I'm thinking now that as I elucidated that, that thought, you know, I was really only presenting it occurring in one direction. That is from left to right along that continuum where it, it might go up and, and cross into other levels of organization that are at least higher than the original one where the event occurred. But I'd be remiss in, in pointing out that in, in, in terms of workplace violence, it works the other way too, meaning that the people who are most closely involved take home those issues. They bring them to the, the you know, first their families and their loved ones uh, that it, it sometimes end up causing, you know, emotional and physical strain 
within the, the microtactical environment of the individual home. Uh, and we, we can't have this discussion either without understanding that, that violence of any sort, whether it's in the workplace or a major disaster or fire, it creates conditions which are, are right for creating uh, depression, uh, anxiety, uh, in some cases suicidal and less than often, but still in some cases homicidal ideation uh, uh, towards others because of people's inability to deal uh, with, with the problems they've encountered. It's an interesting statistic uh, in terms of, of a retrospective in that 10 years after 9-11 um, at a, a meeting that was held, that was hosted by my organization, the, the um, Office of the Emergency Management for New York State, uh, we found out that there were some 65,000 people below 42nd Street in Manhattan who are in active treatment for um, PTSD, post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, uh, anxiety, this crippling, in, in some cases, crippling wow. anxiety disorders. And, and this is where I talk about in those four phases of the disaster management life cycle are going to be the, 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 the issues that last the longest, are most expensive in terms of treatment. Uh, and unless something intervenes, unless we provide an intervention for, for changing that flow it A, gets worse over time, uh, and B, becomes more difficult to pull back. So if we can emplace strategies uh, for, for this issue of workplace violence that reduces the, the chance of people affected by the, these events from, from having these long-term sequelae of, 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 of these impacts, then it's not only going to give us a healthier population at large, it's going to save us money and it's going to put the organization back to status quo ante as it was before in, in hopefully a better place. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you see an intervention, uh, I'll just push in there, disrupting the dominoes, right? Yeah, so that, that's what we're looking to do. That's what we're looking to do. Dr. Pete, this has been so much fun. I'm gonna give you our last question. It's a little corny and hokey, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. If you could convince one person, if you could have the audience of one person that would help push our initiative forward, who would that be and why? You know, I, I, I can't help it, you know, with a question like that at a time like this, uh, we, we've had a, a meta leader, a meta leader, my New York accent comes into, into play sometimes, but we've had a meta leader step into, uh, into our space nationally uh, in trying to help reduce the impact of, of this pandemic and this ongoing long-term disaster uh, that we're all seeing and feeling. Every, it's touched everybody's life. Uh, and, and the single voice of reason that I, I think the majority of us you know, have come to believe in is Dr. Fauci. And mm -hmm. I, I think Dr. Fauci would, would argue the same as I would in, in this case because of these one-to-one -one similarities between you know these micro tactical events, microaggressions as we're calling them, in the, in the workplace, and then these major large scale disasters that are impacting the country and almost every organization. And and I, I think you know he, he he speaks a lot of the planners speak when I hear him talk uh, about strategies to to prevent, uh, to mitigate, uh, to help us in in the long term. You can even hear him if you listen closely talking, you know about you know, one day this is going to be over and what are we going to do to, to right. recover, to respond and recover from this disruption that has, has occurred in, in our, in our national environment. 
So I, I think one, you would have a big fan in the like of Dr. Fauci, but I think he would be a, another great voice uh, to help send the message home because it, it doesn't, it's not a far reach to, to understand, you know, the, the similarities between what we try and do in disaster medicine and, and public health preparedness and what we're trying to do with the paper prevention initiative. Uh, it's just really coming, you know, bot both are coming bottoms up, but one tends to try and address, you know, larger issues that, you know, come with incidents of national significance. But if, you know, it's a final note, Arlene, if, if we continue to let this go, especially in, in this period of severe disruption, this is going to become a, a worsening national issue. Right. Uh, we, can, we can see the economic impact already, you know, the, the changes every day when we watch the news about, you know, just turn on the TV right now and listen to what's happening in the airline industry and the anger and the frustration by, by both the people who are buying their services and the people who are providing the services in the first place. And I, and I think, you know, any listener would understand the imperative behind what you're trying to do. Well, I did not see that one coming. I would not have seen that one coming, but I see with your explanation why that would be a uh, perfect choice uh, to gain that audience. That's for sure, Dr. Fauci. Wow, Dr. Pete, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to do this. Uh, thank you for all the support you've given pay prevention. Is there anything else you'd like to say uh, before we close it out? No, I think, well, I do, yes. First off, thank you for allowing me to be in, involved with this. I, I clearly have, have been into this hard because I, I think it's an important initiative that I don't think we've, we've given enough of our, our time and, and intellectual efforts to, to changing. Uh, but I, I, I couldn't think of a, a final leader to be at the helm mm -hmm. uh, of an initiative like this. Uh, Arlene Lemus is a fighter and we need somebody on point uh, to take on uh, this, this monster of a, of a challenge and, and defeat it. And uh, I think with her leadership, we, we we're moving certainly in the right direction. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Dr. Pete. All right, everyone, this has been awesome. I'm having so much fun uh, doing these uh, podcast interviews. I appreciate your time today. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, you've been watching Disrupting the Dominoes. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much.